0: In just a moment, I'll be reading from Luke's Gospel, chapter 15. In fact, we are going to spend the entire month of January in this story of the father and the two sons. We are going to be thinking together about uh, the second greatest love story ever told. The first, of course, is the love story of God for us. And that is mirrored in this. Uh, It's my favorite story in the Bible whenever I'm asked. Uh, To identify my favorite story, I always uh, talk about this one because uh, to me it has everything. In fact, uh, somebody has said, everyone's in the story, Uh, all the gospel is here. Uh, Henry Nouwen, the uh, famous writer, said, all of my life is in this story of the father and two sons. Uh, You received uh, in your mail at home a brochure a little larger than this. Chris Crawford, our communications associate, prepared this. Uh, A father reaching out to a child running toward him. And uh, on the back it has the reminder of our theme for the entire 2018 year, Come See What Love Can Do. And I hope you'll maybe take some extras of these back in the Welcome Center and maybe share them with some people and bring them with you uh, to services the next few weeks. Uh, I want to mention to you a couple of books that are in the church library uh, that are uh, related to uh, the prodigal son or the father and two sons. I prefer to, to uh, call it that because there are two sons in this story. The first book is one by Tim Keller, The Prodigal God, and uh, some of you have read it, some of you even own it, uh, but it is available in the church library. The second one is The Return of the Prodigal Son, and it is by Henry Nowen, and it's about this Rembrandt painting that is over on my right. That's a print Jim Hill has graciously loaned, his copy, and then my personal copy, a smaller one, is over in our photo booth section, our theme section back uh, in the church lobby where you can maybe uh, spend some time looking at this one after the service or that one. It's fascinating. Rembrandt, 17th century artist who did a fabulous job uh, trying to depict that moving story. And Henry Nouwen was so moved by that that he actually wrote a book. Uh, entitled The Return of the Prodigal Son, just about the impact on his life. The original painting, not a print, but the painting by Rembrandt, uh, is uh, eight by six feet. Eight feet by six feet. So you can imagine how imposing it is uh, if you ever had a chance to see it in person. Here's the overview of where we're going with this sermon series. This morning, an overview of the story, just to remind us of the power of it. Next Sunday, we're going to focus on the younger son. Sunday after that, we're going to focus on the older son. And then on the fourth Sunday, we're going to focus on the father. And there'll be some overlap, obviously, because you can't talk about the story without talking about all of it. But that's the direction that we're going to go. So, before I read the scripture, let's pause and pray together one more time. Would you bow with me, please? Our gracious God, the world is so out of joint. We pray that you would set it right with your love and that you would begin in us. As we begin this journey into the new year and into this new sermon series, the second greatest love story ever told, as we launch a year of exploring, come see what love can do, we pray that our hearts will truly be transformed. We pray that today you would lift up all Who are fallen and broken among us, those who are ill, those who are grieving, those who are troubled, those who are carrying heavy burdens. We pray this morning for our upward basketball season that your spirit might work mightily through all that happens there. We pray for uh, our state legislature as they begin another session. We pray for our community and world that there might be peace and justice and that your spirit might work in powerful ways. And now, God, we pray this morning that you'll help our hearts to more, be more deeply ready for repentance, for coming home to you. Help us to boldly and faithfully live our baptism. Help us this morning to hear a fresh word from you, from an old, old, precious story. This is our prayer together through Jesus Christ. Amen. Luke, the 15th chapter, beginning in verse 11, reading through the end of the chapter, verse 32. Would you stand with me if you're able to do so? Then Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled And let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, your brother has come home. And your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, Listen, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Dad, I can't wait for you to die. Wouldn't that be a kick in the gut? Because basically, that's what the younger son said to the father. Historians and Bible scholars disagree on the exact particulars, but we know enough about ancient cultures to know that it was customary that the sons only received their share of the property after the father's death. But this young one comes and says, I want it now. I'm not going to wait around for you to croak. And it had to hurt. Uh, Maybe the father needed to do better or different estate planning. I remember one time going down the highway, this really nice RV, uh, really nice uh, RV, had a bumper sticker on the back of it that said, we're spending our children's inheritance. Maybe uh, maybe the father needed that plan instead of the one he had. But he didn't seem to fight. He didn't seem to uh, to protest. He gave the son what the son wanted. And the scripture says that The son went into a far country. You ever wonder why he didn't go someplace close by? There is that something in children that want to get away from home, that want to move as far away as they can. I wonder what he was running from. Uh, Was he running from rules and regs? Was he running from curfew? Was he running from... uh, all the, the strictures of, of uh, certain expectations on him. Was he running from himself? And I would pause parenthetically and, and ask you, what are you running from? You ever run from God? It's possible, you know, to live in such a way that other people don't see it, but to be running from God. He was running from something, and, and he wanted to get to a far country where there wouldn't be anybody telling him what to do. Uh, There wouldn't be anybody telling him what's right and wrong. Wouldn't be anybody telling him take out the trash and do your chores? See, what the younger son would learn the hard way is that in a far country, there's nobody there to tell you what's right and wrong, but that also means that in a far country, there's nobody there to help you decide what's right and wrong. And in a far country, there may not be anybody there to make you take out the trash But there's also nobody there to keep you living in the trash. To keep you from living in the trash. And he learned that maybe rules and regulations and maybe guidelines are not all bad. Maybe God does not have a goal of ruining all of our fun. Maybe the reason there are rules and laws... Maybe the reason is not to enslave us but to keep us free from falling into something worse. To falling into slaveries of addiction or slaveries of other people's expectations of us or slavery of habits that destroy us. Maybe a loving father's guidance is there to keep us free, not to enslave us. But of course, I'm getting ahead of the story because the son hasn't learned that yet. And so... The scripture says that the son liquidated all of his assets and he went into a far country and there he squandered his property with loose living and he spent everything, verses 13 and 14. He just wasted all of his inheritance. And by the way, the adjective prodigal does not mean rebellious or wayward. It's used that way in the English language all the time. I'll hear somebody say, well, the prodigal son has come home. But technically, the word prodigal, the adjective prodigal means wasteful. It's a stewardship term. It means squandering those things that we have and not managing them well. And certainly, the younger son was rebellious. But he was prodigal in the sense that he just wasted it all. And you know, he discovered something. It seems to be hinted at in the scripture here he, he discovered that when you run out of money, you run out of friends. Have you, have you noticed that? There's a correlation sometimes. Ran out of money, ran out of friends. Nobody would help him. And a curious statement by Jesus at the end of verse 14. He began to be in need. That same Greek word that is used for being in need... is the the word that is used by the Apostle Paul in in Romans chapter 3 when he says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That word fall short is the same word here, to be in need. So you see, to be lost without Christ doesn't mean that you're always out there doing horrible moral things that all of the world would just blush at. To be lost without Christ also means that there's just this big hole in your heart. You have needs that you can't meet yourself and that other people and that, that partying and, 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 and loose living can never satisfy. It. He was in need. And then the ultimate indignity for a Jewish boy. The only job he could get was feeding pigs. Just read the Old Testament law about the Jews' approach to pork and to pigs. There's a very clear reason Jesus told the story this way. He had absolutely hit rock bottom. He was working in a pig pen. And it wasn't very fun. Well, There's a powerful image of repentance here. The young man models for us biblical repentance, a theme that we've sort of gone soft on uh, in in our 21st century sophistication. Uh, He comes to himself. He names his sin. He doesn't blame anybody else. He says, I have sinned. He recognizes he's hurt God. He's hurt his family. He doesn't just think about repenting. He doesn't just keep it in his head. He literally turns around and he heads for home. A beautiful, powerful image of repentance. To actually change our mind, change our behavior, turn around, head for home, take responsibility, confess our sin. It's a great image. And all the way home, he's rehearsing this speech Father, I've sinned against you, against heaven. I don't deserve to be your son, I'll be your slave and point three is, and point four is, and he's got this speech all memorized, and when he finally gets to the father, he, he only gets the first point out, and his father interrupts him. And the image is that the father saw him while he was a long way off. Father saw the son before the son saw the father, because the father was looking for him, watching for him. And I think maybe the father had been feeding out this calf for a long time, fattening him up for that day. And the father kisses him. Now, use your imagination. Use your imagination. The boy has been working in the hot Middle Eastern sun. And if you know anything about the Middle East, you know it can get really, really hot over there. So he's all sweaty and look at the picture if you can see the Rembrandt, the print of the Rembrandt painting, the rags that the boy is wearing when he comes home, contrasted by the father's robes of wealth. The boy is sweaty and here's a reminder for those of you who are not awake yet, what was the boy's last job? Was it working in the cologne department at Dillard's? No, he was working in a pig pen. And after services day, let me tell you a little bit about what pigs smell like. Pig pens are not pleasant. This boy is hot, he's sweaty, he barely has any clothing, he's in tatters, he smells like pigs, and the father hugs and kisses him. Do you know that no matter how badly our life stinks, God still loves us? No matter what we've done, who we are, no matter how bad the stench, God never stops loving us and he'll always take us in. Come see what love can do. That's what Jesus is saying in this story. Come see that God's love could never be overpowered by the stench of our rebellion and disobedience. When I first started preaching, I was picking up all the preaching tips I could from uh, older, wiser pastors. And I remember this elderly pastor said one time, we were talking about this scripture, he said, hey Doyle, there's only three points to this sermon no matter how you preach it. And he said, they'll always preach. And here they are, sick of home, homesick, home. There's the story. Now, I could have saved you a lot of time, right? The last 10 minutes. Sick of home, homesick, home. The younger son found God's forgiveness didn't just meet him, God's forgiveness and love overwhelmed him. His father's love overwhelmed him. But there's a second son. That's why we're going to devote an entire Sunday sermon in just a couple of weeks to the elder son because he's been in the field working. He's the dutiful son. He's the one who never breaks any rules. He comes in and he hears the party and the dancing and he's all upset. He's outside pouting. He's got his lip out. He's upset because his younger son is seemingly getting rewarded for this horrible behavior. And parenthetically, let me say, if you're a parent of more than one child, isn't this true to life? You just get one kid straightened out and the other one starts acting up. Have you ever noticed that? That's real life. So the father goes out and he said, what's wrong, son? I can just see the older son. Nothing, nothing's wrong. Oh, come on, son, tell me. No, nothing, I'm fine. Father says, okay, I'll go inside. son says, no, no, if you insist, I'll tell you. This son of yours, spending all of your money with prostitutes, so full of bitterness, so full of unpleasantness. His heart wasn't in what he was doing. He, he was obedient, all right, but he didn't have an understanding of his father's love. And Why do you think Jesus told this story this way? The first two verses of Luke 15 tell us why Jesus told this story and the story of the lost coins and the lost sheep. The tax collectors and sinners were coming to listen to Jesus and the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling saying, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. Jesus told this story because the church people of his day we're criticizing him for spending time with sinners. And Jesus wanted them and wanted us to see ourselves in this kind of light. To see what it looks and sounds like to be smug and self-righteous and always gossiping about other people's sins and not ever seeing our own. See, it's amazing how we can, do the other, we can do the othering. It's those people out there who are the sinners. I've got the secret. I'm, I, I'm doing it right. And it's so easy to see other people's sins and not our own. And the older brother was smugly assuming that he had never disobeyed. That he'd never in his heart wandered. Let me warn us, if the only time you feel good about yourself is when you're feeling bad about somebody else, you need to see Dr. Jesus, because something is wrong with your heart if you only feel good about yourself when you're feeling bad and trashing others. George Buttrick was a great 20th century preacher. And he made the statement and he was preaching on this text. He said, if on the way home, the younger son had run into his brother instead of running into his father, the far country would have looked pretty good. Because coming home to that elder brother would not have been pleasant. But that's what wayward and lost people sometimes come to when they come to judgmental Christians. There were two parties going on that night, a repentance party on the inside and a pity party on the outside. The father had to go out twice that day. He went out the first time for the younger son, but he went out the second time for the older son because they both were lost. They both had sinned. They both had been in a far country the only difference was the elder brother had been in the far country without ever leaving home but the father loved them both they both were sinners and both kinds of sin has the stench of disobedience on it whether we physically leave or we just pout and are smugly self-righteous at home and here's another great truth of this text both sons underestimated the father's love. The younger one somehow believed that his father was holding out on him. You know, dad's holding out on me. I don't trust him. I want my money. I want to find out for myself. He didn't trust his father's love. He underestimated it. The elder son underestimated his father's love. Didn't believe that God had, that his father had enough love in his life for both sons and how we underestimate God's love so often by believing that God is chintzy and can parcel out love only in little doses and that if God loves one group he can't love another group and of course you've heard it said before if you've studied this text very much the most curious thing about this story is that Jesus does not finish it. He leaves it open-ended. We don't know what the elder brother did. We don't know if he repented and came inside and rejoiced or if he just stomped off never to be in relationship again. Jesus leaves the story open because it's our story to finish. It's our story to complete by the way we love and by the way we live and by the choices we make. What's keeping you from coming home to God and to God's love? What's keeping you from experiencing the fullness of God's love? The Father waits with open arms. That's the ultimate picture of the good news of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for your unfailing love. Help us to have hearts of readiness, of openness to the new things that you want to do in us. With your heads bowed for just a moment, I want to invite you to continue in a spirit of prayer. During our response time, if there's a fresh commitment that you want to make to Christ, a a fresh promise, an opening of your life to the love of Jesus Christ, I'll be here at the front to pray with you, to answer your questions, to help you. Uh, Or you may visit with one of the pastors after the service. If there's something specific you need to do in next steps of turning around and coming toward the Father, we want to be available to talk with you during this response time or after the service. Amen.